Well, hello and welcome to episode number 384 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show, I drone on about maths. Nick talks to us about the logistics of diversions and Andy teaches us some history. But seriously, we talk about passengers with no seats, hands-free bathrooms and how you, dear listener, can go air racing. And we hear from Elliot Seguin in his chat with Nick, part two. And not joining me this week, unfortunately, as you may have all guessed by now, it is Matt Smith. He is uh, not with us this evening, unfortunately, and uh, will hopefully be back next week on the show. And uh, also not with us this week as well is uh, Nev, because Nev uh, has unfortunately got uh, man flu, a bout of man flu, so he can't be with us uh, tonight as well. But hopefully Nev will be back uh, soon. Uh, on the show. Hopefully next week Nick will be back. And Armando can't be with us this week because he is at the Reno Air Races having an absolute whale of a time there uh, with the uh, pictures he sent us this week in the group chat. So he's having some good times there. But I have, at last minute notice, managed to get two guests to join me this week on the show. And it's a shame they couldn't be here in the studio to give me a hand with all this tech stuff. But our first guest returning to us this week uh, is uh, a long-serving member of the guest host team. Uh, is uh, Well, it, it, it needs no introduction, really. It is, of course, the absolute legend. That is Andy. And uh, Andy, welcome onto the show. Yeah, you're still getting paid, even though we started late tonight, so don't worry. Brill, brill. No, thanks for having us again. Looking forward to the show. So how, how are things are you, Andy? What, uh, what's been going on in the world of, uh, well, of, 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 a, of an Airbus captain? Of me, well, very little work. I went on holiday to Barbados a couple of weeks back, um, and I have just got over the dreaded Rona. Oh, so, no! Yeah, gone out of isolation today. Feeling much better than I did last week, but uh, the vaccines work. Only lasted a few days. So I'm fit and healthy again and raring to go back to work next week. Oh, great. Hopefully some lots of flying coming all way. Um, well, not to yeah, with the uh, the changes today, fingers crossed. <gasps> oh, yeah. Much there, there more flying. Changes. Yeah, yeah, there has been some changes. Uh, well, hopefully, fingers crossed, you'll get back to some sort of normality soon. Because as we all know, our beloved, wonderful, awesome Captain Al is... Uh, uh, returning to the skies as well soon so that's all good news so it's good to yeah see i was you talking to al the other day he's very happy to be getting mm. back to work good on him yeah good on you al it's nice to see all you guys getting back in the air and doing what you should be doing flying those uh, awesome aircraft well we have uh, secured another guest this evening on uh, on the show and uh, it's, it's cost us a few thousand pounds to get this guest to come on the show but it was worth every uh, penny of the uh, money spent and uh, gives me great pleasure to welcome on to the show someone who sent us in uh, some feedback and actually does send us in feedback and actually sent us in some great feedback which we played out last week which is that uh, interview with Elliot Seguin and uh, well we thought we'd have him on the show this week just so we could see what the chaos is like before we go live so uh, welcome on to the show it's Nick Codling. Thanks Carlos nice to be here it's, uh, it wouldn't be the same without a bit of pre-show chaos, so uh, it um, uh, makes us all appreciate Matt a little bit more, I think. <laughs> see, you guys, honestly, you should see what, the, what it's like here before. We actually did have to have a, a bit of a video call a moment ago just to sort a few issues out with uh, some tech in here with Matt 
uh, so we <laughs> interrupted Matt during his meal. But he was he sorted it for us, even though he's about a thousand miles away at the moment. But uh, Nick, how are things with you? Yeah, really good. It's uh, um, it's a Friday evening, um, so obviously a Friday evening wouldn't be the same without PT UK. So uh, looking forward to getting stuck in. So hopefully no more tech gremlins. Does it does it feel weird um, being sort of like how do I say this? The other side of the yeah i'm on the other side this evening it's it is quite strange i must i must confess um it's a bit like being at work really because uh you know these zoom calls are a bit of a thing these days aren't they they, they are there's no doubt about that so we are gonna have a quick uh, look uh, at uh, well the, what we call the weekly roundup but uh, it's something that i found online this week and those of you who've got the flight radar 24 app and uh, there are other apps out there plane finder is another good one um, if you set up the uh, notifications on Flight Radar 24, uh, sometimes you get the notification of an aircraft that has uh, squawked 7700. Uh, then you get the notification come up, you can click on it, and it'll take you to that aircraft where it is in the world squawking said at 7700. This week, um, I'm going to try and get this up on the screen for you uh, so you can see this, hopefully, if I can find uh, the... Uh, if I can find the picture to bring up for you guys to have a look at. But this week, uh, I got a notification on my phone to say that there was an aircraft in uh, in trouble and that this aircraft was um, squawking something slightly different to... Uh, well, it's squawking 7700, but the aircraft in, in question was uh, a Spitfire, a Supermarine Spitfire, the twin-seater version. And uh, this particular Spitfire, we're just getting the picture to pop on the screen it'll be with us in just a moment the picture itself um shows a screenshot of the uh, the aircraft like as i said the twin seat spitfire golf charlie 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 alpha and uh this spitfire was flying at quite some altitude and uh, its speed was was not that great for though for those who are watching youtube feed you'll be able to see that now on the screen so you can see there that this particular twin seat spitfire was uh flying at eighty three thousand seven hundred feet and traveling at 89 knots and squawking seven seven zero zero um any thoughts uh andy our resident uh, pilot what do you think um the pilot was probably very hypoxic and <laughs> clinging on for dear life that's <laughs> gotta be an error hasn't it I'd love to see a, a a Spitfire up that high, though. Yeah. What do you What do you think, Nick? Slight issue with the tech. I'm actually wondering if it maybe hitched a ride on a U2, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Although I'm, I'm not even sure a U2 goes that high. I think they go up to about seventy thousand. Dirk S uh, in the chat room says uh, possibly Virgin Galactic Spitfire. <laughs> <laughs> That's a possibility. Or a very high-altitude landing, Richard Adams says as well. I, I can't imagine how long it would take to get a Spitfire up that high. I don't think it has enough fuel. <laughs> uh, shuttle Pod 1, I think Captain Jack flew a... Oh, is, is that anything else on there? I can't do... Oh, flew in a Spitfire in the... Sp oh, I think Captain Jack flew a Spitfire in space. Possibly. I think that would technically class as space, would it not? Or is it over 100,000 feet? I don't know. How high did uh, Richard Branson go? I can't remember how high he went, though, actually, with um, his aircraft, his 
the, the the galactic one. But there was a lot of things about that, wasn't there? Did he actually go in space? This, that, and the other. But anyway, we're not here to talk <laughs> about that. So uh, we are going to th- say a big hello to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. All the usual family members uh, in there. Just have a quick run through. We've got uh, Lee Davies. Hello to you, Lee. We have got uh, Aircraft 5. Hello to you, Aircraft 5. GB's Model Zone. Uh, Richard Adams. Dirk S. Uh, Mazus Karim. Hello to you, Mazus. Uh, Masha's also in there. Good evening to you, Masha. I hope you've enjoyed the sun today. We had some good sun uh, in the Europe today. Well, over our side of Europe, we have anyway. Uh, we've got Neil Braden. Hello to you, Neil. Uh, Nick Codling's also in the chat room. That's always good to have a guest keeping an eye on the chat room as well. Uh, we've got uh, Sturman. Hello to you, Garth. Uh, thank you for tuning in. APG Show's also watching. I expect they're loving this as well. Uh, Andy Wilson. Hello to you, Andy Wilson. <laughs> How are you? Uh, main man, Micah. Hello to you, Micah. Good to see you in the chat room this week. And uh, also, uh, just make sure I don't... Shuttlepod1. Hello to you, Shuttlepod1. Hope you're well. And uh, thanks for joining us today on the show. So don't forget, if you are listening to this as a audio podcast... Uh, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the bell icon on YouTube, which is right next door to the uh, subscribe button, to be notified when we're live and recording new episodes, because we'd love to have you in the chat room with us. And uh, yeah, if you're listening on the audio show, our audio podcast actually, and you've downloaded through iTunes or one of the various um, podcast downloading apps, uh, don't forget to give us a rating on there as well, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. A review on there would be great as well. So, I think, guys, it will be time, even though we're running slightly behind, but anyway, it doesn't matter, to uh, do some aviation news. So, if everyone's ready. Yep. Let's do it. Let's go. So kicking off this week's first news story, this comes to us from eurekalert.org, interesting one, uh, bbcnews.com, repository.cam.ac.uk, journals.scholarshipsportal.info, and researchgate.net as well. Blimey, how many websites do you need for a story? Uh, the headline on here, new technology could prevent airport drone chaos. So researchers have developed a real-time approach that can help prevent incidents like the large-scale disruption at London's Gatwick Airport in 2018, where possible drone sightings at the perimeter of the airport caused cancellation of hundreds of flights. The researchers from the University of Cambridge used a combination of statistical techniques and radar data to predict a flight path of a drone and whether it intends to enter a restricted airspace, for instance, around a civilian airport. Their solution can spot any drone before they enter restricted airspace and can determine early if their future actions are likely to pose a threat to other aircraft. Results of validation trials using real radar data from live drone trials at several locations was shared at the Sensor Signal Processing Defense Conference at Edinburgh on Wednesday. The software-based solution uses a stochastic or random model to determine the underlying intent of the drone, uh, the drone which can change dynamically over time. 
Uh, most drones navigate using waypoints, meaning they travel from one point to the next, and a single journey is made of multiple waypoints. Uh, in tests using real da uh, radar data, the Cambridge developed solution was able to identify drones before they reach their next waypoint based on a drone's velocity, trajectory and other data. It was able to predict the probability of any given drone reaching the next waypoint in real time. Now, they said that there needs to be some sort of automated equivalent to air traffic control for drones, said Professor Simon Godsill, who led the project. But unlike large and fast-moving targets like a passenger jet, drones are small, agile and slow-moving, which makes them difficult to track. They can also be mistaken for birds or vice versa. Dr. Yangming Lang, was uh, also from the Department of Engineering, who developed the underlying algorithm, said that in tests... Our systems were able to spot potential threats in seconds, but in real scenarios, the, uh, those seconds or minutes can make the difference between an incident happening or not. The Cambridge researchers say their solution can be incorporated into existing surveillance systems, making it a cost-effective way of tracking the risk of drones ending up where they shouldn't. The algorithms could, in principle, also be applied to other domains such as maritime safety, uh, robotics and self-driving cars. So, I suppose the question is, Andy, have you ever had to, uh, well, do something because you've seen a drone or you've uh, had an issue with a uh, UAV? Thankfully not. And I think this is absolutely fantastic. I have no idea how it works, but I'm glad it works because drones are a real danger nowadays to uh, aircraft. The nose of an aircraft is extremely weak and frangible and the leading edge of an aircraft as well can take a lot of damage from these things i mean even the the lightweight ones moving at speed it's like hitting a, a few bricks and can cause some real damage and potentially fatal damage to an aircraft so i think it's fantastic that they've come up with this i'm not clever enough to know how it works have you got uh, a, a a drone yourself uh, andy or not at home I haven't. It's the one thing I haven't invested in because I think I'd get addicted to it. Ah, uh, yeah. What about <laughs> you, Nick? Have you, um, have you got one? No, I haven't, actually. It's something I've thought about, um, and it, it uh, yeah, it would be a nice toy to have a play with, that's for sure. Yeah. Have you got one, Carlos? No, I've never had the urge to get one. I've, I've always seen <laughs> the, the, the Maverick Pros and the DJI Phantoms and stuff people have got, and I think, oh, I'd be love, love to have one of those. But I'd, I'd probably end up crashing it. Yeah, that's another concern of mine. Every model aircraft I've ever owned, I've, I've crashed it. Yeah. Which says nothing about my actual flying ability. I'm just not very good with <laughs> RC aircraft. <laughs> yeah. I'm not quite, yeah, I'm not quite sure if I'd... Um, plus all that money as well. Because they're not cheap either. They're like, you know, you're talking DJIs or sort of thousands of or, you know, 800, 900 pounds for one of those. Yeah, it's a lot of money to brick. Yeah, that is a lot of money. So we're going to move on to the next story. So uh, next one is for you, Nick, and uh, it's a it's a normal story that we'd have for Matt, but it's a Ryanair story this week. Yep, as is tradition for story number two, it's a Ryanair one. So Ryanair opens a fifty million euro training centre in Ireland with plans for five thousand new staff. On Tuesday, the 14th of September, Ryanair opened a brand new 50 million euro aviation training centre in Santry, close to Dublin Airport. 
The training center is equipped with three full motion simulators, one for Boeing 737 MAX and two for Airbus A320 pilots, as well as two fixed base simulators, one Boeing 737 and one Airbus A320. There are 15 classrooms for theoretical training, five individual pilot briefing and debriefing rooms, a specialist cabin fire training center, and an emergency evacuation training device. During the opening on September the 14th, the airline also announced an agreement that Airline Flight Academy to be its exclusive cadet training partner. Under this agreement, Airline Flight Academy will operate and run this new 50 million euro training center for Ryanair's next phase of post-COVID growth and expansion. Access to these new facilities will enable Ryanair to recruit and train over 5,000 new pilots, cabin crew engineers and ground operations professionals over the next five years. Jobs which will be necessary for crew to operate Ryanair's 210 new Boeing 737 Game Changer aircraft, <laughs> which is the 737 MAX which will enable Ryanair to grow annual traffic to 200 million per annum by 2025. Ireland's Deputy Head of Government, Tornisti Leo Varadka, hang on, let's try that one again, Leo Varadka, said at the opening, after what has been an incredibly difficult 18 months, today's announcement is a real vote of confidence in the airline industry as it rebuilds after the pandemic. The 50 million euro investment in a new training centre and the creation of 5,000 jobs across Europe will mean fantastic opportunities for pilots, cabin crew, engineers and ground ops professionals over the next five years. It's incredible growth and makes me really optimistic for the future. Congratulations to the team involved. Hmm. 50 million pounds of a try. I mean, this, this is going to be good for, uh, I think, for... Uh, the younger generation who are now learning to fly, who want to uh, maybe progress, and um, but I, I, I wonder how much of the actual training is paid, for, or how much of the training is going to be paid for by by the airline. Probably not a lot. Hmm. <laughs> it's interesting can... that it's not exclusively Boeing as well. Um, yeah, just that they have the the three twenty capability there. So well, they, they own louder now, don't they? Oh, um, okay. So. That makes sense. Uh, I've got a friend who's out doing a Airbus type rate, well not type rate because he's already rated, but doing the conversion course at uh, a place over in Dublin at the moment for them. In fact, it could be this place that he's actually at. But yeah, so they've got louder as well. And they've clearly had to build this now as well because of the old uh, Brexit word. Before long, uh, all the training centres in the UK won't be much use to them for uh, EASA stuff. So I can see why they did it. It's good that there's lots of building going on and expansion in aviation, and people are becoming more confident again. Hmm. Did you did you pay for for all your you know, for your training at the beginning, Andy? When you were... uh, when I did it a long time ago, now it was you got the bank to basically give you the cash, and then the airline paid it back to you over seven years. Hmm. It's sort of a, a tax-efficient way to do it. All in agreements with HMRC, I might add. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's very, very different. And it was a quarter of the cost of what I'm seeing people being um, quartered now to learn to fly. It's madness. What? What? How much, just off the top of your head, Andy, do you know, would it cost 
What now? Now, if you were gonna, uh, you know, from from zero to hero, if you're gonna go through one of the big schools, you're looking at 120, 140 thousand, wow. which is that's a house. <laughs> I mean, you can do it cheaper, obviously, if you go modular and do it in in small chunks. Then yeah, you can do it cheaper. That is a lot. That is a lot of money. Yeah, it really a is a lot of money, especially if you're if you're only young. Uh, that yeah. is a lot of money. Um, yeah, we'll have to keep playing the lucky dip every Saturday in the lottery. I think. <laughs> um, keep trying. We'll keep trying. So, Andy, uh, we're going to go with you next for this next one. Uh, this from Gatwick Airport, and it's uh, good news for engineering. Yeah, and this comes from one of my favourite newspapers. I like to read when I'm stuck in the hotel in Gatwick. It's from the Crawley Observer. Um, Gatwick Airport has recruited four new engineering apprentices for its 2021 cohort with an equal split between males and females for the first time. The move highlights the airport's ongoing commitments to provide opportunities for women in STEM, and, which is science, technology, engineering and maths, roles. The four new apprentices, Harry, Zoe, Finley and Abby, aged 16 to 18, all come from local schools and colleges within the region where Gatwick has been running a Women into STEM programme since 2018 to encourage more girls to take up careers in engineering. New apprentice Abby said, only 12% of UK engineers are female. I want to be part of of changing this and showing girls that there are companies paving the way for female engineers. I want to help break the gender stereotypes and show young girls like me that they can be engineers and work in STEM roles. The new apprentices will start the four-year mechatronics program in September, with their first year taking place exclusively at East Surrey College. They will study practical and theory-based subjects, working towards a BTEC Level 2, before combining their studies with practical days at the airport in their second year. Gatwick currently has 16 apprentices across four cohorts, and the airport's successful apprenticeship program has recently been recognised with awards amongst apprenticeship employers. The five apprentices graduating from Gatwick's programme this year have all been offered permanent roles at the airport. Their new positions commenced on 6th of September, working across areas including baggage, airfield, heating, ventilation and air conditioning, and specialist systems. Recent polls show that nearly 60% of local people consider Gatwick to have a positive impact on developing skills in young people, so it shows that our programmes are continuing to make a good impression and support our future generations. And uh, applications for next year's engineering apprenticeship program will be advertised in the autumn. That's very good, isn't it? Did you ever think about engineering before you, um, or did was the piloting thing always a thing that you wanted to do? Um, I was an engineer before, and I was a civil engineer. Ah, I built big things. I've worked on the Olympics. I did a lot of work on the athletes' village and um, the main stadium. Oh wow! So there you go. But you so know, yeah, I used to dig holes. You know, you never thought that uh, you'd like to sort of fix aircraft rather than fly them in. Oh no, nah, that wasn't for me. I went in. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I had a career completely outside of aviation, just in case it all went peak dong. How about you, Nick? Would uh, Would you like to do something sort of on the engineering side of maintenance or something with air with uh, aircraft? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I've uh, I've worked in engineering for for more than twenty years now. Um, and I have been lucky enough to work in a, in an aviation related role. Uh, I worked for a company for a few years um, designing stuff for IFE. Um, but yeah, obviously, as a, as a plane nerd, um, you know, I'm always the one with my face pressed up against the, the, the window at the airport. So, uh, 
yeah any any uh any chance really yeah i think um if i think if i if i could go back um if i could go back to school to my school years and go back to when i was kind of then leaving school i think i would have probably have, have, have decided to have cho or chosen to have gone through a different path than the one i did and try to get into um into something working within aviation whether it be piloting or um on the ground hindsight's a wonderful thing it is it? yeah i know i'm still i'm still waiting for someone to build that um build that time machine so uh doc brown if you're out there just hurry up and get that delorean sorted <laughs> but uh let's have a look at uh, the next one this is uh the uh, runwaygirlnetwork.com edition.cnn and aircraftinteriorsinternational.com and the crystal slash cabin slash award.com uh, crystal cabin awards the airplane interior designs of the future now we've looked at air, uh, uh, interiors designs before of aircraft on the show seats uh, normally in business class where nev sits but uh, as part of the virtual aircraft interiors expo 2021 the crystal cabin awards in the special categories clean and safe air travel and judges choice award have been presented for the first time french cabin interior specialist safran won over the international expert jury in both categories uh, the two special categories were developed in response uh, to the global coronavirus pandemic and the impact on aviation worldwide clean and safe air travel is targeted at innovations for aircraft in the areas of health hygiene safety and cleanliness uh, the judge's choice award has been designed for entries that would otherwise have been submitted in one of the eight regular categories including cabin systems and in-flight entertainment and connectivity uh, hygiene concepts for the aircraft cabin uh, complete, uh, completed neck and neck or competed neck and neck I should say uh, in the clean and safe air travel category. In the end Safran Cabin took the honours with its Beacon Clean Lavatory. Uh, this innovative bathroom concept combines uh, antibacterial surfaces with hands-free features. Other notable nominees include Rosen Aviation's Holographic Controller uh, a control panel for flight attendants that opts for motion sensors over buttons. Meanwhile, Collins Aerospace submitted a sanitising light solution for the aeroplane cabin called Lilac UV, which sanitises airplane interiors whenever a light is omitted. Uh, the system can be applied in lavatories, galleys, flight decks, cargo bays and throughout the cabin and has an intelligent dosage controller that can be set for scheduled cleanings or manual applications during flight or during or between flights. Uh, the system also has an occupancy detector for enclosed spaces to ensure that areas such as the aircraft lavatory are only subjected to UV when a passenger is not present. Safran prevailed over the other four finalists in the judges choice awards category two the safran seats team winning entry in cooperation with the universal movement is called interspace wing like cushions can be retrofitted uh, to uh, suit folding out the backrest of the aircraft seat to enhance not only comfort but also privacy functioning as a partition between seats the innovation is targeted primarily at short to medium uh, haul economy and business class flights and Lucas Kastner of the Crystal Cabin Awards said the awards body had noticed a recent trend towards creating increased privacy in the economy cabin another entry on the shortlist 
Toyota's Boschku's cloud capsule concept imagines a dual-level aeroplane cabin which uses the area above the economy seat as an additional space for passengers. In 2022, the Crystal Cabin Awards plan to return to its original eight categories, with Ketzner telling CNN Travel that he expects a focus on in-flight safety and hygiene to linger. So, I like this because we we had a story not so long back on the show uh, which had those like wheelable trolleys they wheeled through the cabin that had the arms that came out which which obviously emitted the uv light for cleaning and obviously having this uh, actually integrated into the overhead panels on the seats and in the cabins and toilets i suppose is a lot i would say less intrusive and a lot easier i think would be for um for the crews to use what do you guys think will those lights also clean passengers <laughs> So I think that could be a good thing. I've got to admit as well, I, I, when I was reading through it, I read uh, Beacon Clean Lavatory as Bacon Clean Lavatory. And I thought, oh, that's a very, very interesting concept. I like the sound of that. Mm. So I'm, yeah. are, you, can, are you not supposed to be exposed to UV rays? I suppose I know for the sun, I suppose, it's for like the UV rays for uh, it could be a bit um, bad for your skin. But I'm guessing these are these a different type of UV cleaning light I, I guess so because there's lots of different types of UV, different bands isn't there mm, mm. it's um, a comment it's very... from micah actually about uh saying uh how do we make sure that the the ultraviolet light doesn't go off while there are people on board as it can mm. your skin and eyes um so i mm. guess there'd have to be a sort of a some sort of interlock system i'll pull the circuit breaker for it and then it definitely couldn't work something yeah, like that true. yeah, yeah. It's a it's a good idea, and I do like some of the seating uh, options there as well. Having those um, the the wit look the wings that come out from the side of the seats, which is also a good idea. One of the things I, that, that I've always liked about when I've flown with Emirates on the on the triple seven or the three eighty is that those economy seats with Emirates have those kind of wings that come out from the side of the headrest, which you can kind of lean your head into. Yeah, um, which not all um, airlines have in economy anyway, um, which is always I, a good I, idea. I like Richard Adams' comment. Easy could charge extra for a tan before you arrived. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. But yeah, Mike is right. It will be very intense UV radi- radiation. Mm. I guess there'd be for people operating as well. There'd have to be some safeguards and systems in place to stop them getting uh, injured. Yeah, it's. Uh, we, we think we need to know someone who's, who knows a lot about these particular cleaning types of UV rays as to how mm. they how they work. And how dangerous they, they potentially could be, I suppose. Yeah, do they clean medical equipment in these sort of ways as well these I don't days? Know, actually, it's not a bad call actually. Whether that, I suppose, whether that's used because I think the, the, that that kind of cleaning is used for other things as well, isn't it? Um, in other industries, they use these particular um, lights for cleaning things. Perhaps we need to get a UV expert on the show. We'll try and find someone. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we'll get John to look for what look for someone. <laughs> so, Nick, you're you have got the next story, and um, well, it seems like Emirates, uh, Emirates have had uh, a slight issue with one of their uh, A380 flights. Yeah, this is a good one. Um, I actually saw this one. I think it was yesterday on uh, SimpleFlying.com. Um, it it, uh, it it's quite a confusing one. So there will be a test at the end. So make sure that you're all paying attention. Passengers on Monday's Emirates flight 
EK216 from Los Angeles to Dubai got quite the world tour as they diverted not once but twice on their journey. EK216 is currently the longest commercial A380 flight and Emirates' longest passenger flight while the Dubai to Auckland route is suspended. The flight normally covers a distance of 8,339 miles in a scheduled flight time of 15 hours and 50 minutes. The passengers on this particular flight spent over 24 hours on board the Super Jumbo. Wow. The flight departed LAX at around 5.20 p.m. Pacific time. However, after just shy of four hours in the air over northeastern Canada past Hudson Bay, an unconfirmed onboard medical emergency diverted the flight. The decision was made to divert to Toronto and they landed after a roughly seven hour flight. As a comparison, LA to Toronto directly would normally take four hours. So this was a three hour detour just to get to the diversion point. The flight took off again after just over two hours on the ground but did not continue bound for Dubai. While Emirates A380 for an 8,000 plus mile flight is very well staffed with four pilots and 24 cabin crew, ultimately you don't want them working for 20 plus hours. At this point, the crew didn't have enough duty time left to fly all the way to Dubai. Emirates operations team had to find a way to get passengers home which admittedly is more complicated than ever before, especially with current border restrictions. Emirates does fly to and from Toronto. However, Tuesday is one of the days without service. Even with a hypothetical flight, the timings from Toronto would mean accommodating passengers in Toronto for 19 hours, which in the current climate is quite a difficult task. Instead, the decision was made to operate a flight from Toronto to London. Why? Emirates already operate four daily flights to Heathrow with three operating A380s. With several hours advance notice, it's much easier for Emirates to make sure that a crew is available to operate this flight. Emirates took the decision to cancel Tuesday service from Heathrow to Dubai and instead use the crew to take over the EK216 flight. While some London to Dubai passengers were undoubtedly inconvenienced by this with three other flights a day from Heathrow, the disruption to the global Emirates network was minimized. After a four hour stopover in Heathrow, passengers and crew from the EK216 flights operated by a fresh out of bed EK4 crew landed in Dubai at 7 a.m. local time on Wednesday morning, around 12 hours after initially scheduled arrival time. Wow. <laughs> that, that's one hell of a flight. I want to read the notes after this because it's quite funny. Um, if you've managed to get this far without losing track of everything, you'll realise there was a spare A380 sitting around in London Heathrow without an, an appropriate crew after all this. Well, crew were pre presumably flown in one of the inbound Heathrow flights and that A380 took over a regularly scheduled EK6 on Tuesday night, which is normally operated by a 777. That 777 was flown in from Dubai on the EK-5 and the EK-5 flew out again on an extra flight that, as far as we can tell, operated without passengers, though presumably cargo. Do you all mm. follow that? Just about. <laughs> I'm not Blimey. sure I do. <laughs> it it well, sounds incredibly complicated. There weren't any details on on what the, uh, the medical emergency was. Um, mm. 
So, um, but yeah, even a three-hour diversion to Toronto just for that, um, just, you know, it, it, that seems like a long time to be uh, waiting. But I guess if you're in northern Canada, you don't have many alternatives. Thought, so flight operations maybe. at huge airlines, especially like that, have a, a bad enough time when things like this happen in normal times, let alone the middle of all this COVID and everything else. So I think they did quite well to sort of sort all out and keep everybody moving. Yeah, imagine 24 hours sat on the plane, though. Whew. I wouldn't yeah. want to be doing that at sat in, uh, sat in uh, economy. Nah, I just don't travel economy, mate. That's the answer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with, I'm with Nev. One A. One A, <laughs> definitely. So, uh, Andy, you have got uh, the next story. And uh, this is, um, yeah, this is all about uh, a Paralympian. Yeah, so a Paralympian outlines the harsh realities of flying with a wheelchair. Nico Langman is a professional wheelchair tennis player from Austria. At 24 years of age, he is Austrian's number one in men's wheelchair tennis and has recently returned from his second Olympic Games in Tokyo. Nico is a frequent flyer, often flying more than 60 times a year. For travellers like Nico, the difficulties start when they get to the airport. Speaking on a panel to discuss accessibility in aviation at the Aircraft Interior Expo yesterday, Nico said, when you want to check in, you have to go to special assistance. That often takes way more time, way more effort. People treat you in a very weird way. And I feel like the person who has to check me in gets like a little small heart attack because they don't know what to do with me. Forward-thinking airports like Heathrow are taking bold steps to ensure disabled passengers can get the assistance that is right for them. Specifically, facilities people choice to ask for help and not to force help upon them. Speaking about his flight to Tokyo, Nico said it was 12 hours in the plane and as soon as you step into the plane, you give away your chair and you give away all your flexibility and all your ability to move around by yourself. So then you depend on the crew to do the basic stuff like going to the toilet. We, the Paralympic team, discussed it and thought maybe if I don't drink for a few hours before the plane takes off, then maybe I don't even have to go to the toilet. Well, that's a bad idea. Yeah, one of us did it, and then he arrived with a bladder infection. Very bad. Most wide-body aircraft have a requirement to provide at least one accessible toilet. In narrow-body aircraft, there is no requirement yet in the US for airlines to provide accessible lavatories. The Department of Transport has been talking about it for some time, but nothing has been implemented yet. In the past, this was not such an issue as single-aisle aircraft rarely flew for more than two or three hours. But with the rise in long-haul narrow-body flights, wheelchair users could find themselves on aircraft where it's literally impossible for them to get into the bathroom. Arriving at the other end of the journey, every wheelchair user has to hold their breath until their chair arrives in one piece. With the vast majority of wheelchairs do arrive unscathed, thousands every year become damaged in transit. Airlines have been required to report wheelchair damage to the DOT since 2018. Since then, 15,425 wheelchairs or mobility scooters have been lost or damaged while in the care of the airline, airport or ground handling company. Figures that would likely be much higher if not for the decline in air travel with the pandemic. Every single wheelchair that breaks is one too many because it just takes away all the independence of that person. At the Paralympics, we had marvellous facilities for repairs, but on normal trips, there's not a whole staff of repairmen there. 
The World Health Organization estimates that around 75 million people need a wheelchair on a daily basis. That's around 1% of the world's population and twice the population of the whole of Canada. Wow. That's a lot of damaged equipment. I just want to know where the lost ones go. Oh, like everything. They just vanish into the abyss <laughs> that is aviation. Uh, but yeah, that's. it's sad that in the 21st century we're still... We're still not right there with mm. helping everybody. Yeah. Yeah, that is bad. I, I mean, the, the, the wheelchairs that are used in airports, they are literally used just to take the, the passenger to the aircraft, to the gate, I think, aren't they? I think the actual, the, the actual person's private um, wheelchair is normally stowed. Um, you normally have a choice. You can use your own wheelchair right up to the, uh, the gate and then they'll take it down to the hold. It's not well known that on... Um, especially narrow-body aircraft, there is, and I think it was a European directive, there is a wheelchair on board, but it's not particularly useful. But there is one, but they wouldn't be able to right, use it themselves. Hmm. So they, yeah. they have the, the kind of the small um, wheeled chair. That it's a sort of little narrow thing, isn't it? I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, It's just possible to get up and down the aisle. Yeah, and that's the other problem with aircraft. It's crammed in with seats, isn't it? That's, mm. that's where the money is. So there's not a lot of room for accessibility for people who need it. Mm. It seems to say there's a real lack of accountability uh, with, with baggage handling staff. Oh, yes. In terms of stuff getting damaged. I find that extraordinary. Yes, well, we lost, I mean, not a wheelchair, but we lost our daughter's um, pushchair on the return trip back from Barbados. And you go on, we flew a BA, basically it's, now nah, we don't owe you anything for that. I mean, it did turn up eventually, but the amount of um, slopey shoulders when it comes to stuff like this is unbelievable. Right, so let's have a look at the next story, which is all about the uh, Reno Air Races uh, flying into Microsoft Flight Simulator. This comes to us from RGI.com. And uh, for those of you who love your Microsoft Flight Sim. I kind of do, but I'm an X-Plane 11 man, as you know. In what can be described as the biggest little nod to Reno's airborne sports heritage, the STIHL National Championships Air Races will be immortalised in video game form uh, this fall as it gets added to a popular home flight sim. Microsoft Flight Simulator will feature the event historically known as the Reno Air Races as a new 8-player racing mode in the game later this year. The new mode was announced on Tuesday during Gamescom 2021. They said that we are excited to announce our partnership with the Reno Air Race Association to bring the world's fastest motorsport to Microsoft Flight Simulator, uh, Microsoft said in a statement. Many of the planes can fly up to 500 miles per hour at an altitude of between 50 and 250 feet above the ground. And the Reno Air Race Association, meanwhile, said it was thrilled to be featured in the upcoming Flight Sim expansion pack. Uh, the association have been working with Microsoft for more than a year and keeping its involvement with the expansion was a secret uh, and was hard work, said Chief Operating Officer Tony Logetta. The end result was totally worth it, he said, however, especially given the public, uh, publicity that the game will provide, not just the Reno Air races, but the overall community as well, uh, Logetta uh, added. 
Uh, we hope this brings the excitement of the Reno Air Races to many new eyes and inspires young people to explore the field of aviation and maybe one day race here in Reno, I wish. Uh, the update will feature an improved rendering of Reno and its surrounding environments uh, to put together, as we say, flew Reno, which means we sent a plane over Reno. Uh, George Newman, Microsoft Flight Simulator head of uh, told gaming site Polygon, he said we took fresh photographs. We had our own height fields. It's as clean Reno as it was three weeks ago and as clean as you get, he said. The inclusion to the popular flight simulator is good news for the Reno Air Races, which cancelled last year's event due to the pandemic. And the air race, which has started, uh, which was started in 1964, uh, is obviously back this year and uh, is running from September the 15th uh, right through to the 19th, which is uh, a few days' time when it finishes, uh, which is where Armando currently is, funnily enough. But uh, any of you guys, uh, I know, uh, Andy, you've, you've had a dabble in a flight sim or two uh, with your job, obviously. Um, but uh, Nick, how about you? Have you um, dabbled in Microsoft Flight Sim or um, uh, I, Explain? Only very, very briefly. Um, yeah, I'm... I've actually um, started a new job recently, um, and I, I use 3D CAD for my job, so I acquire something that's uh, fairly high spec. And I'm I'm kind of hoping I might be able to persuade my new employer to give me a a laptop so that I can bring it home and put uh, put a flight sim on it. So we'll we'll see about that. But uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, something that that I'd like to get my hands on. That uh, some of the some of the graphics you put up there on the video look great. How about you, Andy? Well, I have dabbled in many flight simulators. I do actually have a copy here somewhere, funny <laughs> enough, of FS98. That's how long I've been playing with Yeah, it was definitely in this pile of CDs. Anyway, um, Microsoft, MSF, oh, there's, um, there's FS2004. <laughs> I've got loads of them. Um, but yeah, the new one is brilliant. I haven't tried it myself. I've seen a few uh, friends playing it. I saw some pictures of uh, Concord as well, a new Concord for it that looks just unbelievable. So, yeah, it's a great bit of kit. I've used it many times um, just to practice certain procedures in some aircraft, especially when I was trained to fly, uh, doing my instrument rating as well. It was very handy for that. So, yeah, it's good to keep me handy. Oh, I am... Um... I haven't invested any more kit with the flight sim at home. You've got enough. Recently. I've got enough. <laughs> um, there are a few pieces I, I would I'd love to get, which you can only get in uh, in Europe at the moment. The MCP panel is one of them. But, um, yeah, the, the particular piece I want is, is, is nearly £1,000. It's not the cheapest hobby to have, I'm not going to lie, but um, it is good fun, you know. So, Nick... You've got the next one, and uh, Delta uh, had a slight issue here with uh, passengers. Yeah, I think someone needs to do their sums. So this is uh, this is coming from viewfromthewing.com and bbc.com. So early on Sunday morning, Delta flight 1732 from Charleston, South Carolina to Atlanta, pushed back from the gate with more passengers on board than seats. Uh, there were 180 seats on board, but 182 passengers. A passenger on board shared on social media that the aircraft pushed back and then two passengers walked to the front of the aircraft. 
a flight attendant came over the PA and mentioned two passengers on board didn't have seats and we'd need to go back to the gate to let them off, he explained. The plane wasn't yet on an active taxiway, so it was a quick return. And the two extra passengers deplaned and the flight still managed to operate on time. According to a Delta Airlines spokesperson, flight 1732 from Charleston to Atlanta this morning deplaned two employee standby passengers who did not have appropriate seat assignments. Our commitment to the safety of all our customers and crew remains our number one priority. Apparently, prior to closing the boarding door, there were two empty seats that were assigned to non-revenue standby passengers, although the passengers originally assigned to those seats were actually on the aircraft. The incident calls to mind two contrasting times recently where planes actually did take off with more passengers than seats. In January 2017, Pakistan International Airlines boarded 416 passengers on a 777 with 409 seats for the 1,700-mile flight from Karachi to Medina. The extra passengers stood in the aisle. Uh, turns out the captain said he only learnt about the situation after takeoff and the dump fuel to land back in Pakistan was not in the best interest of the, of the airline, so they just continued on. And two years ago, a TUI flight operating from Marne, Spain to Birmingham, UK, with seat assignments that didn't exist for three passengers due to an aircraft swap. The plane carried fewer passengers than planned. Nobody was denied boarding, and instead a family sat on the floor throughout the flight <laughs> while using jump seats for takeoff and landing. Is that allowed, Andy, passengers using jump seats? Because I thought that was... Um... Well, not the jump seat on the flight deck, obviously, but the uh, the crew <clears throat> seats. I have known it's been done before. Uh, we definitely don't allow it in my airline. But as long as you have a seat and somewhere fastened in, and it's not a safety-critical jump seat as well because there are some spare, you definitely couldn't have crew. Uh, sorry, passengers sat at the actual door because that's a crew position. They need to be somebody trained, ready to operate that door in an emergency. Mm. Um so, yeah, it's not, not very good, especially not having passengers stood in the aisle as well on a yeah. flight. That's a definite no-no. Yeah, that, that PIA flight had an additional, I think, seven people on board? Yeah, seven people. I mean, I guess that, you know, it's a wide-body aircraft, so um, you know, perhaps there would be additional jump seats, but even so. Um, That's still a big no-no. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. So I, I remember the good old days when you could actually um, go onto the flight deck as a passenger and, you know. Yeah, I remember that as well. Chat to the crew and, uh, yeah, sit sit on the jump seat, you know. Th th those good days, which will probably never return, I think. Eh? I, I had exactly that experience on my very first flight on a 747. Oh, wow. Well, on one of the uh, jump seats. Um, I was uh, well lucky enough to be on the the upper deck of a seven four seven going across to the states, and uh, my I was I think nine or ten at the time. Uh, my brother and I were the only children upstairs, and the captain was kind enough to give us a little uh, little visit to the to the flight deck, which was an amazing experience. It really is when you're that age. Uh, the last jump seat ride I had before I ever got in the industry was the end of August two thousand and one on a TriStar. <gasps> <laughs> Magic words to my ears, Andy. Yeah, tell us more. Carry American on. American Transair. Do you remember that little ATA, airline? That existed? Yes, ATA. it was Man Manchester to Orlando, but it had to stop in Gander both ways for fuel. 
Um, and it was on the way there that I got um, I got a ride on the jump seat. I just <laughs> bald as brass, sixteen year old me. Can I come and sit in here, please? Yeah, all right. It was great. <laughs> Lots of horrible veneered panels in there. <laughs> but apart from that, it was beautiful. And it's a shame that I'd love to have people on the flight deck to come and visit. But unfortunately, the world that we live in, you have to suspect everybody. Actually, I was going to say is that is that must be something you you miss. I think as a as a pilot, having um, especially young young kids come up and see you on the it's look, deck. We can still do it on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been plenty of times, especially in the summer, the height of summer. As long as we're parked up, like if we do remote hold to get off the stand, go and park somewhere, and we've got a slot for like three or four hours or something like that. Then engine shut down, the aircraft is then um, it's secure, so you can open the doors. And uh, let them in. And normally, nine out of ten times, the queue's halfway down the cabin, and it's it's mainly mainly the dads that want to come in, not the kids. <laughs> the dads are just sort of going, "Come on, let's go and have a look. Let's just go and have a look." No, Dad, I don't want to go in. Well, I want to go in. Come on, let's go and have a look. And and, yeah, that, and me, that, that would be me. me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm in the same boat as new Nick. I still do it now, Nick. When we're on the ground now, yeah. You know, Absolutely. I mean, look look at that the, the flight that me and Nev had back from Dubai a few years ago when we when we landed at, at uh, Heathrow, and we went up to the flight deck and we were up there three quarters of an hour after we landed, still chatting to the uh, to the crew. All, all I'd say, the, anybody who wants to do it, just do it on arrival, preferably back, especially with low cost carriers, back in the UK or whatever, because normally we're getting off, so then we've got time. Whereas. We're not being national, we don't have time because we don't get a lot of time on the ground to turn an aircraft round. And of course, a lot of it's safety critical stuff, especially performance calculations. Um, but when we're back in base or it's the end of the day or we're getting off, no problem at all. Got all the time in the world to talk. There we go. A great bit of, it, great bit of uh, info there for listeners, I think, yeah. um, Andy. Well done for that. That's good to know that um, obviously, you know, we can still. Come up and see you. Uh, Richard Adams says in the chat room, why does the captain in airplane and his little chats with that boy spring to mind? <laughs> Brilliant. You, you haven't got uh, you haven't got an auto on the uh, the A320, Andy? No. The closest inflatable thing I've got is my daughter's pink flamingo, and I think that would look weird in there. <laughs> I love that film. Sticking with you, Andy, for the last story. And uh, this is all about a particular kind of aircraft that I know our main man, Micah, absolutely loves. Yeah, so this is the last flying Catalina flying boat recreates historic race. And this is from uh, Portsmouth.co.uk. Golf Papa Bravo Yankee Alpha, a 1943 Catalina flying boat, is one of just 10 of the aircraft still flying worldwide. And the rare sight impressed the crowd gathered to watch her land at uh, Daedalus in Leon the Solent at midday today. Well, that's a big mouthful. The historic aircraft arrived from her home at the Imperial War Museum in Duxford with fair and based pilot Jeff Boiling behind the controls alongside seven other joint owners of the aircraft acting as air and ground crews. Pilot Jeff just took just 13 minutes to fly a triangular route from West Wittering, the Isle of Wight and Gosport, recreating the historic 1931 Schneider Trophy race. The, the recreated route around the Solent marks the 90-year anniversary of Great Britain securing the trophy. Jeff said it was a fantastic experience to fly the route after a diabolical 18 months for the aircraft. This is a good opportunity to bring the aircraft around the country, this type of aircraft likes to fly, so it's good to get it in the air. 
Solent Airport Daedalus manager Martin Francis said the rare planes arrive said the rare planes arrival brought huge kudos to the airfield. He said having the kudos of this aircraft to visit us is massive. It attracts the attention of residents and other rare aircraft. The son of well-known French steel and arms manufacturer Jacques Schneider was an aviation enthusiast who believed that float planes and flying boats were the most practical military and civilian design since they could fly to any country with a coast, a river or a lake without requiring the construction of expensive airfields. On December the 5th, 1912, he declared a competition in which he appealed to manufacturers of marine aircraft to develop the world's fastest airplane. In addition to the trophy, which he called uh, the Coup Aviation Maritime Jacques Schneider, the winner received £1,000 sterling. The race, which soon came to be known simply as the Schneider Trophy, became one of the most prestigious annual competitions in history. The distance flown had to be at least 150 miles over triangular route, but prior to that, Schneider expected all entries to cover a distance of 547 yards in contact with the sea. In later contests, the aircraft was supposed to sit in the water for six hours to test the integrity of their floats or hulls and to race weighed down with whatever liquid they had accumulated if they developed leaks during that time. The ultimate stake in the contest was a permanent possession of the trophy, which would go to the country or pilot that could win it three consecutive races within five years. So there we go. Bit of history for you. Yeah, you know, I actually I got the chance a few years back um, to interview the crew of the um, of the Catalina at, at Duxford, and um, actually inside the aircraft itself, they invited us inside and sat just, just where the blister is. Oh yeah, uh, well inside and, and chatted to the crew in there. It was um, it's, it's really honestly it's amazing inside to be inside that aircraft and and see what it was like, and it's... looking at the looking at, if you go up the front with the flight the, the flight deck and stuff, it's honestly it is amazing piece of kit that aircraft is this is this the same aircraft that got stuck up in loch ness as well i'm yeah I'm not, yeah yeah i think it is john's just said in our ear, he said that yes it is yeah 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 because it, it has had a horrid 18 months because it looked like at one point it wasn't going to get back out of there mm. so it's really nice to see it back flying again that's uh that's really nice yeah, yeah, for anyone who lives in and around Cambridge, um, Nick probably know as well. You can sometimes see um, this, you know, doing test flight or flying around um, Cambridge and Duxford and that. So, so when, you can say, Nick. No, it's uh, um, yeah, it would have been interesting to have seen that. Um, I used to live down in that part of the world, and um, I actually uh, recall having seen uh, a flying boat uh, going along Southampton Water. So. Uh, and, oh, wow. uh, yeah, having lived around that part of the world, it, it uh, would have been pretty cool to, to watch it flying over. A few years back when we lived in London as well, um, it used to, on a weekend out of Duxford, it used to fly across London and down the south coast. And I remember seeing it out, we lived in a quite a tall high rise, and you could see it sort of <laughs> a little bit below us going across through um, London City airspace. It was brilliant to see. So that uh, is kind of where we bring the commercial news segment to a close for this week. We have got uh, one of our caption this is to or caption this to do this week, and we're going to run the uh, first one that we set a few weeks ago because last week uh, we had a busy show, 
two weeks ago and obviously last week we didn't uh, have time to fit that in because we had obviously the very special show we had last week um, but we are going to uh, go to our set one question or picture I should say that we set a few weeks ago on caption this and uh, we're going to put the picture up on the screen in a minute we had loads of great feedback for uh, for that uh, first picture that we had and uh, the picture was of a flight deck uh, of an aircraft um, <laughs> it's had some great pictures honestly uh, some great comments on this and the flight deck picture itself Andy what would you say for the benefit of our audio listeners um, obviously it's an Airbus I think it's a 340 uh, what would you say is some of the the features of this particular aircraft uh, looking at it it's a it's a 380 uh, like deck yeah um the feature of this it looks like somebody's installed windows on it then gone onto some illicit sites and had a lot of bugs uh infect the aircraft and they also like takeaways and beer <laughs> isn't that isn't that what the table's supposed to be for an airbus so uh, Andy? oh yeah eat your dinner do it instead not like these boeing pilots where you've got to sit and eat it off your knee I'm loving the, uh, the PS4, I think it is, on there. On Where's the, that? Oh, yeah, yeah. On, the, on the windshield. Yeah, I like the furry dice as well. That's very good. And as I think it's got on the um, on the captain's side, on the far left-hand screen, you've got uh, Doom, Doom playing on there, honestly. I've got to admit, if I walked into work and it looked like this, I'd be like, I'm oh, definitely going to enjoy work today. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's running, it looks like it's running Windows 98, so uh, oh. God help you. I can install FS98 on it, then I'll find me CD. <laughs> and actually, oh. just looking on there, there's actually a remote control just near where the... Um, the flap lever. Yeah, is yeah. there's a remote control for the TV. And uh, there's a TV... I love the TV guide on the seat that features a picture of the uh, 80s uh, programme Chips. <laughs> <laughs> This is quite. Uh, I did wonder what that. I thought that was Starsky and Hutch for a minute. But we've had we've had some great comments on that. We're going to uh, look at the list first. We're going to start at the top of the list first. So we had uh, the first one uh, was from Jake, and uh, he said, "Ah, the new Airbus variant, the A320 Essex." Very good. And do you want to take the next one, Andy? Uh, yep, this one's from Neil. It says, uh, the items on Nev's ride have been put in place prior to his flight simulator morning session. <laughs> and Nick? Uh, comment from Dave. Maybe an image of aeroplane and outdoors. Mm, interesting. Okay. Uh, Jeanette says, the other Uber. I'd love to see an Uber driver pull up in a 380. That'd be good. Uh, Andy? Yeah, I like Stuart's uh, Airbus, working from home edition. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick? Uh, so Derry says, as long as there is a takeoff and land buttons on the panel. Ah, the good old takeoff and land button on Airbus, eh? Uh, Chris says, Captain Nick on his long hauls. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned chips before, because Richard says the captain was not happy that the F4 had left his chips on the seat. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> uh, Nick, do you want to take Richard's one? Yeah, so Richard says Gemma didn't quite think it through when she asked Carlos to redesign the living room. <laughs> no idea what what uh, what that means. Trust me, my, my, I would love a living room like that. Uh, <laughs> Dirk says they even uh, they try everything these days to win the youth uh, for this job. Oh, but good, you definitely get the youth definitely with the PS4 on there anyway. 
Uh, Andy? There's a common theme, this. Uh, Andrew says, look, it's like someone has moved the contents of Neville's office to this cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick, do you want to take the last one? Yeah, and, a, and another one from Andrew. Carlos Home Sim that he goes on about. Oh, yes. Thank you, Andrew. Everyone knows about Carlos's Home Sim. I know. I know. I do love I do love a bit of silly. So next part of the show, the very important part of the show. If you remember last week, if you were tuning into the show, uh, we had uh, a very special uh, piece sent in to us from our guest tonight, uh, Nick, who sent in the interview with Elliot and uh, Elliot Seagram, and uh, we left the last piece with them in Scotland, and this is going to be part two. I think um, you know it's an interesting relationship that you have with a customer as a contractor, right? I mean, we've all had uh, work experiences that with different managerial setups, but uh, I think in some ways, as a contractor, you're less exposed to these kinds of uh, um, situations. And for me, I feel like we're way more exposed, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, uh, test pilots, uh, you know. What do you got to have 250 hours to be a commercial pilot, which uh, in the U.S. is all that you're required to do the work that we do. Right. It means I'm competing with a lot of guys for the work. And since we're pretty high visibility, it means anytime I stub my toe, the world wants gets to hear about every mistake I ever made. Okay. So yep. we make it a, a real point to make sure we come out of a program, every program, with as much customer success as we can. Mm -hmm. So when I'm sitting in Perth, right, and I'm looking at the weather forecast, it means I'm going to go to the airport. It means I'm going to sit there and watch, watch the weather and see if it's better than forecast, right, with my bags ready to go, even though I know know that it's going to rain all day and I know <laughs> right um, but uh, but at the end of the day we could only you know we only had I think 20 uh, only a few days of uh, insurance for the airplane we only had you know, right. the airplane has to get back on a boat and go home we we're trying to get all this stuff done okay. and the, the uh, boat was delayed by two months we were supposed to be here a couple months ago to do uh, okay. this when the weather right. would have been considerably better yeah um, so uh, long story short it came down right to the wire Basically, we were doing those demo flights up in Wick. That was going good. Justin uh, got here first. He assembled the airplane, did the initial test flights with the airplane, and then did the initial couple runs from Wick up to Kirkwall, which was our demonstration leg. Did that a few times. Then I arrived, and we were sitting there looking at the weather, and we're looking at this restriction. No visible moisture, uh, no clouds, and we're looking at the route, and we're looking at every forecast thing, right? And, you know, not, nothing against your forecasting capabilities, but things change here fast, right? And if you're yeah, going to be in the air for absolutely. five hours and yeah. you're not going to be able to count on cell service, how am I going to be confident that I can get to where I'm going when we take off? Sure. And frankly, I didn't, I didn't think it was possible. We had a little bit of a shot. What was it? A week ago Monday. Mm -hmm. So a week ago, yeah, a week ago Monday. And I decided to go for it. Um, got airborne and we popped a transponder uh, north of Glasgow just as it was starting to get hectic from a uh, airspace standpoint right so i had to abort into perth those guys were freaking amazing right it's happened we landed the only place probably in all of the uk that's a trig dealership they had a unit that would drop right in that uh that was functional wow and they had the test unit to prove that it was functional they had the right guy there tj was there who could program it with our uh -huh. actual tail number and granted i mean it still took a couple hours but it was there was enough daylight left in the day right but uh there were some other con uh, complications that uh, maybe are worth going into maybe they're not but fundamentally it's just tough to operate an airplane under those restrictions yeah. with that much visibility yeah. right and it, we got to the end of the day and we just couldn't make it the weather window had closed mm -hmm. and i sat there for a week watching the weather trying to find a slot to get down here and it literally came down to if uh if i had been 10 minutes later to take off we wouldn't have we would have canceled this whole 
South England portion wow, of this it's project. It's been amazing, hasn't it? You've got down here, and the last couple of days, the weather's been absolutely stunning. Freaking so phenomenal, I'm really, right? Really happy for you. So guys. not only were we able, to, thank you. Not only were we able to do the run uh, here from um, Exeter to Newquay and back to demonstrate that leg, but we were also do the, able to do the run all the way down to Lands End, yeah. which meant that we did the full from the full length of the UK uh, from John O'Groats on the northern tip to uh, Lands End. On the yeah, that's amazing. Tip. I've been watching you guys on flight radar and. I wish I was up there with you. <laughs> to be honest, I feel spoiled. Like as an American, I feel like I'm the wrong guy to get to experience the entire like island. Like there's some like UK, you know, historical uh, cool guy that should be should be sitting there like <laughs> looking down, and be like, ah, oh, that's the you know the first of you know whatever, and that's yeah. you know whatever the entryway into the Glasgow Canal, or, right. whatever. I, yeah. I mean, so it's say. funny. I don't know the UK that well, and what would typically happen is we're getting forecasts and we call in forecasts and you try to you know, get everybody's got all their forecasting tools and then. You someone bumps in you and they're like well you know when you're going into edinburgh you need to watch out for the such and such before you make the turn to manchester and i'm like where is manchester right so i had this cheat sheet <laughs> and every time somebody would say the name of a place i'd never heard before i would draw a dot on my eight and a half by 11 and i would write in that name of that city right because i could pull it i mean obviously we all have google on our phone i could pull it up but then you would like well is that north of you know newcastle or south of newcastle uh -huh. i need them all on the same yeah. piece of paper i just carried around wherever i go to think about Oh, all well, the I geography. Guess, I, I mean, the UK as a whole would probably fit into Texas about five times. So it's, you know, it's strange in that sense that everything must seem quite dense for you in terms of, you know, the flight time. I mean, what was your flight time between Perth? Uh, and we had a little tail when it got down in the three hour range, yeah, three so hours and some change. pretty good. But to be honest, I would compare it to uh, California. Right. Um, so California, yeah. we have sort of the, the big range, mountain range uh, between us and Nevada mm -hmm. on the east side, and then obviously the ocean on the uh, on the west side. But you know, there's sort of the same sort of big population centers and associated airspace. Right. Um, it's just the biggest thing I noticed is it was narrower, right? So we came down um, off of uh, Perth, flew down Edinburgh to uh, Teesside, and then across, across the island. Uh, out to uh, north of like Liverpool. Yeah, and, and then, I saw you went down past Blackpool, didn't you? And so. that section where you cut across, it was like, you know, I turned the nose over the, <laughs> the west horizon. I'm like, the, the, the water's right there. Right. <laughs> like, we're going to be there in a second. So you could probably pretty much see the, the, right. whole, the whole width of the... Right, right. And so then, so then the end result, right, to go from Wick, where it's like in, incredibly... Um, unpopulated right uh -huh. and it's very like it's scottish but yeah you're right on the edge of the the Cangorm national park there so it's right at the bottom of the kind of really mountainous part of scotland and then to go through like to spend time in perth which felt more like i was getting a feel for what actually scotland was proper right scotland, yeah. yeah proper scotland well said and then to be here which is like vacation country for the english right yeah. i don't yeah. know anything but that's what it sort of feels uh -huh. like uh it's just an unusual opportunity to get yeah. a feel for the for the area yeah instead of kind of being a tourist and going to london and seeing the tower of london and all that kind of stuff and yeah, to constantly like be some different parts surrounded by people that are just stoked about the airplane and excited about yes. what we're doing and yeah. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. it's very rewarding. So uh, uh, I, I think that's the biggest thing about uh, sort of the internet in general, right? Is it's easy to, you put stuff out there and you you count views or whatever you. But it's hard sometimes to figure visualize what that looks like as far as meeting people, and uh, and it, this was a very unique situation to come into contact with mm -hmm. a lot of people I wouldn't otherwise get in contact with and talk to them about what kind of you know whatever airplanes they get stoked about and yeah. whatever what they're into and get. Well, better I'm feedback. going to come on to that at the end of the interview actually. Uh -oh. we, we have a standard question, but uh, yeah, we'll get back to that. Okay, so, okay. I was just going to ask you a bit about the aircraft itself because we talked uh, a bit about it a couple of weeks ago on the show. 
and from what I understand, it's uh, so the installation is an inline. Yes. So although it's a multi-engine, yes, you've got it's kind of doesn't have the risk of flying a traditional multi-engine as everything's on the centre line. So I'm guessing that from a from a sort of a safety point of view, if you like, it's it means that you've got you've got the electric power there, but you still have this kind of the redundancy of having the, the, the conventional internal combustion engine. 100%, so that's a great observation. Uh, I think what's interesting is that um, just recently, the fourth SkyMaster was converted to a hybrid configuration, uh, electric gas electric hybrid. So uh, Ampere did the first one. There's, the, there's another company that did, um, they put one electric motor on the front of each of the two tail booms. Uh, and then uh, there's the Ampere second one, and then the International Test Pilot School put what just finished one just recently. But yeah, I mean, you said it uh, exactly. So the nice thing about having everybody on the center line is the motors don't have to get along, right? Mm -hmm. most, in most cases, a twin engine airplane has two of the same motors, which means you know, you're going to have to match your uh, electrical output to that, that big uh, uh, continental or lycoming that is the foundation of everything, right? Yeah. So it means that just you need a lot bigger electric motor, which means you lot, need a lot bigger batteries, which batteries right now are the problem. So yeah. Uh, so by putting everything on the center line, you get you can run more scenarios, which I think what excites me the most about what Ampere is doing, we already talked about the difference between super long haul and super short haul, Yes, is that um, there's a lot of other questions that go beyond like, uh, you know, I think there's plenty of uh, graduate aerospace engineers right now that are tasked with you know, designing a new uh, electric airplane for the future, right? And, and like, you know, it's, you wave your hand on a PowerPoint and you do your yeah. battery density calculations and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But there's a thousand things that, that are hard to think of until you've actually done it, right? And I think uh, the initial program in Camarillo was always sort of a demonstrator deal, right? Where you're sort of proving this, this PowerPoint spreadsheet that you've done before. But now to take the thing on the road, right? And to be in a situation where I'm flying down the length of the UK and we have several people in cars driving along with two different kinds of electrical chargers because there are different power grids in Scotland than there are in California than there are in right. England. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have all the adapters and they don't all fit in one car. So we have to have two cars. Since you have two cars, you can put them in different places. And since it takes 16 hours to drive from Wick down to uh, here in Exeter, it means uh -huh. that it probably makes sense to sort of stage them around the country mm. as you know the dumb pilot tries to figure out where he can land because there's a raindrop, right? Uh, and these are interesting questions that go with what it's going to be like to really field an electric solution yeah. right? and whether or not that electric solution will be one that's market viable, which is the fundamental problem, right? I think we're in such a moment right now where we all have cell phones in our, our pockets and we want to drive a Tesla or we have a Tesla. I don't have a Tesla. Do you have a Tesla? Well, actually today I went in a Tesla for the first time. Really? Okay. So yeah, I went on a, um, on a work trip with a, load, with a load of colleagues and it cool. was my first experience of going in an electric vehicle. What do you think? Well, aside from the fact that compared to my own car, it, it was very small. It felt kind of noisy on the motorway. Oh, wow. The, my initial impression was when you pull away and there's no noise. Right. So that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about. I mean, did you get the, the opportunity to fly purely on electric power or did you always have, I'm guessing that you probably had... There's not much reason to that. turn the recip off uh, with the configuration that we're running. Justin did it. I never was aboard for that testing. Um, mostly the question was... Uh, confirming the drag profile and then he so he did it I did the uh, preliminary test which was uh, shutting down both motors independently and checking climb rates uh, based on against the handbook and then he rechecked that once the electric uh, motor was installed and then we were asked to demo it for um, the piece we did for anyway we shot it air to air 
him shutting down and feathering the rear motor cool. uh, from a top quarter shot with this wow. beautiful like sunset lighting. It was yeah. amazing. Uh, and I've never actually seen the footage, but okay. I, I was uh, actually, I have vi video that I took over the cameraman's shoulder, which is pretty impressive. Nice. But yeah, so uh, the short answer is that it doesn't matter because uh, we stand the electric up first. We start the electric first, and then we when we go to for takeoff power, we stand the electric up before we stand the backup. And it's uh, remarkable the the sort mm -hmm. of the, the the sound obviously, but there's a different relationship to thrust, right? It's like when you go from a recip to a jet, mm -hmm. uh, where you feel like you move this handle and then just and the sweet Lord Jesus uh, provides you with the thrust required <laughs> to fly. <laughs> Whereas with a piston, you feel like you can just feel it earning every bit of thrust. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the electric kind of feels that way, sort of like a Tesla, right? Where you, you put the throttle down. And so is that because of the, the sort of the, the torque response? Because you've got that kind of instant 100% well, there's, torque? There's instant, obviously, but it's just torque. It's not a power pulse and a power pulse and a valve opening and a valve closing and all the rackety 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 stuff that happens with the recent right it's just like more torque less torque gonna say a massive thank you uh to uh, to you nick for putting that together and uh, i'm just gonna actually ask you nick how how did that all come about the actual um you know getting to uh, to chat to elliot well i've been i've been following elliot on instagram for probably quite a few years um i don't know if uh, if anybody watches flight chops on youtube um so he did a, a piece on on elliot he had quite a famous um crash in mojave which i think armando mentioned about last week um yeah so i started following him and then um obviously discovered that he was was up in scotland because of his instagram so uh, we started exchanging a few messages on instagram and obviously the fact that they were flying into exeter i my office is literally two miles from from exeter airport um so yeah pretty much at the last minute we we just managed to sort something out he was he was uh on his final night in the uk uh he was about to go out for dinner and uh very kindly was able to to spare me some time and um what a great guy he was just really really interesting to talk to really enthusiastic but what i really loved about him although you know he's he's kind of a superstar in his field um but he was very humble very down to earth and very approachable but he also really liked to give back his time and he you know he really appreciated the enthusiasm in in what he's doing and and trying to keep an interest in aviation so yeah you've got to love people like that really great guy yeah i think uh, social media is a good way of connecting with with people in in the industry like you did with elliot there when you know we've we've got guests on the show before we've had guests on that we've initially contacted through through you know like their social media pages and it's a good way of kind of making that first connection with someone and starting the conversation as you and like leading on to where you've gone with with the actual you know. I'm, I'm hoping that armando can catch up with him actually while while he's out there i mean if if anyone's interested in the reno air races um elliot's instagram is well worth a follow because he's been posting stories um many many times a day giving updates on on the racing what's happening and it, it's honestly fascinating it's it's made me go from being mildly interested to the in the Reno Air Races to now being yeah I really want to go. <laughs> what what's Elliot's um, Instagram just for, in case um, people? It's, uh, so his his surname is spelled S E G U I N. So his so the Instagram is actually at 
E D Seguin. So it's E D S E G U I N. At I'm just I'm just plugging it in now. Yeah, it was a brilliant interview. Really enjoyed that. I'll stick that in the chat for anyone that's interested. Yeah, got it here at yeah yeah um, E D Seguin. Yeah, he is. Oh, I'm just clicking follow there, so I'm now following him now. Oh yeah, great stuff on Instagram. Definitely worth uh, definitely worth a follow. He's got some pictures from uh, from Reno on there as well, which is good. Another honestly, so much aviation on Instagram. I love it. But uh, yeah, thanks for that, Nick, for putting that together. Very much That's appreciated, right. and lots of love from the chat room as well for that as well, Nick. So um, so well done. Great interview there. Lee Davis is saying, and uh, Dirk S says that went well. So well done. <laughs> Um, so moving on to the next part of the show, which is this week's caption, this picture. So this week, uh, we trawled the depths of the internet to choose a picture uh, for this week, uh, which would be a military kind of uh, focused picture. So uh, I came up and found this particular picture, which will be on the screen in just a moment on the uh, from from the internet which is a military picture of an f-16 which is uh, having a slight issue uh with uh, foam and uh, we had uh, lots of again lots of great uh, captions coming in from uh, our facebook followers and uh, don't forget just in case you don't already see uh, us on facebook if you don't follow us on facebook just give us a follow and on wednesdays is when we normally post the caption this just for fun picture on our facebook page if you don't follow us yet just go over to uh, plain talking uk on facebook give us a follow and uh, that picture will be uh, on there on a wednesday for you to leave your captions on and hopefully we will uh, hold on i'm just grabbing the the image and here we go. I'm just going to grab the image. And I'll just grab the image here. There we go. We'll get that on the screen, hopefully. If I can, if I can find it. <laughs> no. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. Don't panic. I'm going to find it. It's set. It's here somewhere. Carry on talking between yourself, guys. I can't wait to see this image. I uh, don't panic. John's going to find it for us on there. But we had some uh, answers anyway. We'll go for the uh, the captions first on the uh, picture first. Then, so the first one we'll kick off with uh, is from Jake, and he says practicing their cloud surfing. Uh, Andy, do you want to take Jenny's? Yeah, uh, Jenny says this was filmed from a camera. And, Nick. and the ne next one from Sasha. And here we get a rare glimpse of a baby fighting falcon having its bubble bath. And we've got uh, Sue says, just a normal summer's day in Syracuse. And uh, Darry, this is what happens when you take your F-16 to Ibiza. Ah, there it is. And we've got Scott. <laughs> uh, Scott says, the Ghostbusters have been at, at the Stay Puff Marshmallow again. Uh, Nick, do you want to take Bob's? Yeah, we've got one from Bob saying, has anyone seen the rest of the squadron? <laughs> and and uh, Neil, this Neil is says, awesome. Have you, yeah, this is a great one. Have you done the Daz challenge? <laughs> <laughs> so for those of our, our, our American listeners, I mean, is, there, is there Daz in the US? No, I no, no. So for those American listeners, Daz is a, um, a well-known, old-school, popular 
uh, washing detergent brand. So Eric says, uh, you mean there is another way to simulate being in the clouds? I must say that is a good way of simulating being in the clouds, actually. Uh, Nick, do you want to take the next one? Yep, John says, bath time for the Vipers. And Andy, take the last one. Yeah, Tim says, fire in the hole. And let's just have a look at the chat room and see what... Uh... <laughs> Richard Adams says, would have been simpler and cheaper <laughs> to use foggles. Uh, good old foggles. So what we sound this picture then obviously as we said it's an F16 in a hangar and I think uh, it is uh, it's having a slight issue with fire retardant um would you say guys Yeah and um, what are foggles What are oh, foggles and, uh, Carlos Eden Foggles are what you use when you're doing flight training and you Yeah what, what do they do Well they they just fog everything up so you can't see this is for uh it's for it's uh, refresh my memory Nick, know this. Come on, Nick. What for when you're doing uh, IFR, IFR training? IFR training. That's the one. I was trying to think there, John. I'm going to put my size 11 somewhere in a moment. Yes, <laughs> for when you're doing IFR training. <laughs> well done, Nick. I know we got you on here this week for that reason. <laughs> so thank you to everyone who uh, commented on that this week. Some great comments on there, and don't forget check out Facebook next Wednesday when we put our next uh, caption this on there to uh, for you to comment on. Um, I think John John's got a picture that we're going to use next week, possibly, possibly we'll uh, might have a good one there next week. So keep your eyes peeled in there. But he's got to ask permission first for us to use it. So uh, well, we haven't got any military news this week. Uh, Armando's been very busy, as I said at the start of the show in Reno. Hopefully, um, Armando's going to have some great footage and video and stuff from Reno, which we'll, we'll hopefully have on the show in a future show. And hopefully all the team will be back together next week. But uh, obviously we've got Nick on the show this week. Nick uh, is uh, obviously one of our loyal listeners. And uh, obviously, Nick, you're, you've been doing some flying as well. So, uh, Nick, I suppose I'll ask the first question to you, Nick, actually, is um, is how long ago did you start listening to us lot on a Friday night rabble on? Yeah, that's a really good question. We talked about this briefly, didn't we, yesterday? Um I'm going to say it was probably in the low 200 episodes, something like that. So it's got to be four or five years, something in, in that region. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I came across from a, a well-known um, American podcast that, that we won't mention the name of. Um, is that, is that the three-hour one? Yes, that's yeah. the one. Okay, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's been a few years. Um, with podcasting generally, I've you know I've been been quite heavily into podcasts for probably ten or ten or twelve years, maybe more than that. So um, yeah, to have to have found a a nice regular supply of of uh, aviation goodness once a week, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's That's been a real good. pleasure. Oh, thank you for 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 wish or for tuning in and, and listening, staying with the, with us. So, what what uh, what is your kind of your your background as such in in aviation, Nick? Where where did you know? Are, are you learning to fly? You're a pilot, or what? what, uh, what well, look, I'm, it, it kind of makes me laugh, really, because you know every week you have these these great guests. Um, you know, we've got Armando, who obviously is the king of cool. Um, I should add, actually, that. Uh, as a as a Patreon supporter, I got a personal video message from Armando, which he recorded on the flight deck of an aircraft. Oh. Um, he did it while it was parked, I should add. 
sat in the left seat. Um, the, you know, the guy is just super cool. <laughs> what can you say? Um, you've got Andy. He, you know, Andy flies an aircraft for his job. Um, I just look at them out of the window. So um, I don't know if you can see this here. This is my my uh, my screen thing isn't working very well. This oh, is a, I remember those a flight, books. A flight training oh, manual. Oh, blimey! Yeah. So this is the 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 uh, the Pooley air pilot's manual number one. I'm about two thirds of the way through that. So that kind of gives you a bit of an indication about where my where my journey is in terms of my my flying. Um, so uh, I would say that sort of previously um, my job has has taken me around the world quite a bit. And um, yeah, I used to spend a lot of time on aeroplanes um, flying all over the place, um, which I always enjoyed, even though I was sat in the little seats at the back. Um, but uh, yeah, sadly, um, not uh, not been able to get behind the controls as yet. Um, I've probably done less than 10 hours at the controls of an aircraft. So that's uh, definitely something that uh, that I'll be looking to improve upon in in the coming years. Have you uh, have you obviously you said you've done a lot of flying with with work and stuff. Have, have you had a chance obviously because they're, they're a dying breed now, a chance to fly obviously on the queen of the skies? Uh many times actually. Um so dating back my very first business trip I ever went on I was 24 years old. In fact, I was 23. Um, and the reason I know that is because I was going to the United States. And when I got there, you had to be 24 to rent a car. Um, but the guy at the the, the, uh, the the rental counter obviously liked the look of me and let me rent one anyway. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my first trip um, on a 747. I've probably been across the Atlantic on a 747 at least half a dozen times. And in fact, the last time I went on one, I was lucky enough to be on the upper deck on on, uh, on a Virgin flight. So, yeah, really, really great memories. And um, I suppose the question is, you know, your your favourite out of the two big ones, Airbus or Boeing? Oof, you're not going to draw me on that, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> I had to so, ask. So my, my other hobby is motorcycling, and yeah. you always get the, um, <laughs> you know, you get the sports bike guys and the Harley guys, and the two are, you know, always at loggerheads with each other. You know, for me, if you ride a bike, you're cool. So I think it's the same with <laughs> aircraft, you know. Any aircraft's cool. And, and your favourite low-cost carrier in the UK, uh, Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> unlike Nev... <laughs> I have uh, I have flown on Ryanair. I should add it wasn't booked by me. It was a, a, another work trip actually. Um, I've flown on EasyJet quite a bit actually, and I've always found them to be um, a great service. Um, I do miss Flybe. Um, I used to live um, in and around Southampton, and, and now um, near near to Exeter, um, and I've used Flybe quite a lot. Um, both around the UK and uh, into into Northern Europe, and I've got to say, I I miss their service. So, yeah, hope, hopefully they'll be back soon. So, what is the plan? And obviously, Nick, you said you're starting to. You're obviously reading the books here. I think there's another eight or nine books in the series, or is there more? Now I can't remember now. It's been so long since I. There's at least seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so do you, do you, obviously, is the goal then to 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 get that that PPL? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably longer term, I would want to look at maybe um, doing a, you know, taking a share in an aircraft, something like that. 
So, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's definitely in the plans. I might have to sell a motorbike first. Any any words of wisdom for uh, for Nick, Andy? Oh, blimey! Keep going at it, especially when it gets <laughs> tough. <clears throat> There's a few of those things, especially met and performance and aircraft general knowledge that you read it and just go oh god why am i doing this but it's all <laughs> worth it and you're an enthusiast as well so it's not really work it doesn't feel like work does it when you're doing it yeah i think that makes it easier to learn for sure yeah um, it's been it. it's been good actually because although this is flight flying training number one that i'm reading um it's actually you know really really interesting to be able to kind of look at the um the theoretical side of flying um, and actually see how it compares to to my assumed knowledge so um, yeah I think for, for people like ourselves that, that maybe don't fly yet um, actually even if you think that you, you might not ever take the controls it's it's actually still um, really interesting to get the background actually, oh, Richard Richard Adams mentions one of my one of my least favorite books <laughs> the air law book which well, the, the actual exam itself wasn't that great either, but... Um... Yeah, it's not a lot of fun air law. No, no. And also, never never be afraid to go back, though. Keep those books and use them, because you can't remember everything. Yeah. I never profess that. I, can, I can't remember half the stuff uh, I learned in flight training. Your brain's not big enough. Do well, you, mine certainly isn't. Do you remember, uh, or did you ever have a... Um, when you were training, and did you ever have the whiz wheel? Oh yeah, the uh, the crap five. Yeah, sorry, the CRP five. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's another relic that's in a cupboard here. I've still got that. And uh, what what was the rule the ruler that we that they use? I forget. I've still got mine at home. The the, the little um, the ruler to, to oh do yeah a for um, drawn um, on on charts. This yeah, drawn on charts. This one. That's it. You can't really see it. Yeah, yeah, you can't really see it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I've, I've still got everything from Flight Tree, and I still use it for various bits and pieces. Really? Yeah. Oh. Have you, have, you, have you had a chance to look at a whiz wheel yet, Nick? No, not yet. <laughs> that's, oh, uh, my word. that's some excitement that, that's coming my way. <laughs> that, 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 is, that is one of the things that's so exciting, though, honestly. Oh, yeah, then you've got Mercator charts when you get to Air Nav. You've got Polar Stereographical chart. Oh, you've got some great stuff coming up. Are you guys trying you... to put me off? No, no. <laughs> no. It's all fun and exciting things. <laughs> No, no, it's 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 good. Just getting getting through the exams. I think was the toughest part is getting through the uh, getting through the exams is the, is the hardest part. I think, um, you know, I I got up to as far as as probably most people know goes cross country stage solo cross country is when I kind of finished and um, changed jobs. But um, yeah, the exam the exams were um, were definitely an interesting part of uh, learning to fly. I was more of a practical lover myself. I liked the actual hands-on flying of aircraft more than the uh, the classroom-based stuff. Um, yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I was never never much for never one for for exams, unfortunately. Uh, Richard Adams says Met is seriously very interesting. Um, uh, Dirk S says any pilot flight student here ever experienced air sickness I tell you what I the only time I've ever experienced sick or any sort of air sickness when I've been in the air was when Dan took me up a few years ago in the long EZ at Seething um, which we've, we've actually fe uh, featured his aircraft on the show and that was the only time I ever felt sick on a on a, on a flight at all on a, on a um, um, GA 
kind of flight at all. And that was probably because Dan was flying it like he stole it. Um, <laughs> because uh, it is slightly an aerobatic kind of aircraft as well but what about uh about you uh, uh andy obviously you fly something slightly bigger but I, have you ever in your early days of training ever felt a bit uh ugh? Ne- never once have i felt airsick um just something that doesn't affect me in a car as a passenger if i try to read something oh god i feel terrible but in aircraft no well i'm fine what about you nick yeah same yeah, I've never had an issue with it. Um, yeah, had some pretty, um, pretty interesting flights on occasion, and uh, yeah, never had a problem. As long as I don't spill my gin and tonic, I'm fine. That is the most important thing. <laughs> well, honestly, I wish you all the best, Nick, for um, for the future, and hopefully, um, your we can follow your possibly follow your journey as you uh, progress along with all the books and stuff and well, you um, might need to be patient we'll be we'll be patient we'll be patient <laughs> but it is it is interesting stuff actually I, I will one day get back into it um get back into doing the the flying but it is um it's something i do miss incredibly uh, uh, much i'll tell you especially doing the job that i currently do which involves me traveling to a a facility which is literally across a field from where I learned to fly so all the time on there there's constantly the the caravan Cessna caravan taking off and landing various GA aircraft PA 28 Cessna 172 150s flying um, and also some other um, sport aircraft as well flying overhead um, which can be quite um, off-putting when you're trying to concentrate on uh, driving a lorry but <laughs> But uh, yeah, I suppose we better do some social media links uh, for the show. Uh, for those of you who may not already know, don't forget if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, um, you can follow us Plain Talking UK. Uh, that WhatsApp number plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Email the show podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and on the website as well. Uh, all the W's dot plain talking UK dot com on there you'll find links to our shop where you can purchase yourself a PTUK t-shirt uh, um, I know that uh, a few people have had those uh, recently and also the mugs as well we've uh, got mugs on the store as well if you want to purchase yourself a PTUK mug you can on there and also there's that Amazon link on the website as well if you do your shopping through there that's also something that helps the show uh, as well and if you want to become a patron of the show as Nick uh, said he is he's a patron of the show uh, you can find the links on there to patreon and also paypal as well if you'd like to donate to the show that uh, would be very much appreciated but nick one last question for you before we uh, start to wrap things up then is uh, obviously that question which you know what that question is i don't have to tell <laughs> you what the question is but no the nick question. given given that choice um to uh, to go tomorrow in the lovely weather that's forecast for tomorrow and uh, fly any aircraft um you know be it retired ga commercial military retired still flying what what would that um, oh now this is i wasn't expecting this um i should have been better prepared i think um the the first one that springs to mind for me has got to be concorde i think um having been um on a on a couple of static concords um yeah it's a big regret that, that i never got that opportunity before it was retired so um yeah i think that would mm. that would be the one for me and uh andy did you ever get a chance 
before we go to to, to uh, fly on Concord? Um, no, I saw it many times, but uh, we never no. got a chance. No. Well, so hopefully, all being well, if we can if we can secure um, the venue that we're hoping to secure for our uh, up and coming four hundredth show, hopefully, oh, yes. that we can uh, we can help with uh, that uh, that well that wish. Fingers crossed. More information to come soon. We're not going to say anything else. But we're <laughs> that was hopefully, a good tease. <laughs> I know, a bit of a tease there for you. Uh, but Andy, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us tonight. It's been uh, good to have you back on the show. And, Absolute uh, pleasure. And, Always love being the super sub. And just a, a quick question for you, Andy, as well. Um, how, how's the, the uh, pub getting on? How the pub going on? Great, yeah, I've got a lot of painting to do. Uh, but it's it's getting there. I've got a brass bell now as well to call last orders, but I'll never oh. have to do that. <laughs> but have you got any aircraft parts in the pub? No, not yet, not yet, not yet. You Don't worry, I'll get You need to get those bits. aircraft parts in that pub, Andy. You, you need. For everybody out there, all I get is WhatsApp messages from uh, Carlos <laughs> with links to various <laughs> aircraft parts. We're just landing these saying, buy it, do it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> do, do I? Oh, I can't remember sending those. I'll, I will. I will buy some eventually. Oh, that'd be good to see. <laughs> good to see those. Oh, wooden. Oh, Dirk S is saying apparently a, a wooden prop on the wall is mandatory. God, where do I pinch one of them from? Oh, am I meant to buy it? Y yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'll have to find somewhere to find one of them then. But yeah, you're right. That, that would look quite nice. Oh, I, I, I suppose for you though, Andy, you'd have to get rather than a wooden prop, you'd have to get kind of like the front <laughs> front fan off a CFM fifty six. That's quite big. A fan blade, maybe. I, you'd, you'd fit the you'd fit the front end of a of a CFM fifty six in your pub. Surely. Oh, oh, yeah, I would, but, uh, you know, that's quite a large wall <laughs> taken up. <laughs> but imagine the speaking point in that pub, though, when you, when the, you know, the, your friends and family come round and see that in in your pub. Yeah, it's, it can't be broadcast what some of us say, probably. Mm. Anyway, before uh, we start spending any more money on playing reclaimers or other sites that sell wonderful uh, aviation stuff... Uh, we're going to start to wrap up the show then. So a big thanks again to uh, to Nick for joining us on the show tonight. It's been a, a te tech marvel on the show tonight. I'm sure Nick's <laughs> Nick's had a real insight into just uh, how um, the show is put together. It's been flawless, absolutely <laughs> dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also to you, Andy, as well. Thanks, uh, thanks for joining us on the on the show tonight again. Thanks for being a super sub, as we said, or as you said earlier, uh, super it's, sub of the show. It's been great. Thanks for having us again. So, uh, well, we better uh, let well, but let everyone get away. Obviously, John's John's now moving stuff around the screen. I'm trying to load up the the outro for the show. Uh, so thanks to everyone for joining us on the show tonight and uh, don't forget to tune in next Friday to the show where we'll all be back again uh, on or hopefully all of us will be back in hopefully Nev will be better if you're listening Nev get well soon and uh, Armando uh, looking forward to uh, bringing some stuff from Reno which will be great to see that on the show hopefully uh, so that's it then guys and girls have a fantastic weekend Take care and hopefully, fingers crossed, all being well, we'll see you uh, back next week. 
take care everyone say goodbye everyone bye bye, bye. bye. <laughs>